You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here with us. So just to give you a little bit of background, my wife and I met at a mutual friend's house. It was a totally chance meeting. Neither of us had ever been to this guy's house before. And after that day, neither of us have ever been to that guy's house since. And the only reason that I went to that guy's house was because he had just gotten a new guitar. And so, and the way it works when you're a musician is when someone gets a new guitar, it's called NGD, New Guitar Day. And you just celebrate. There's a big celebration with anybody who gets a new guitar. And so I went to it because it was NGD for him. It was New Guitar Day. So I showed up at his house and played the guitar. And in this party that, we, that he was having, um, a crowd began to form as I played. And then this one girl just walked away, totally disinterested. And I knew I had to speak to her. And so anyway, that girl was my wife. And so anyway, um, we talked for a while at that party. And then I left and I never got her phone number. So I had no idea how to get in contact with her, but there was a concert uh, that, that next weekend on a Friday night, and I thought, I bet you that girl Carrie is gonna be at that concert. So I decided to go with a friend of mine to this concert in Fort Lauderdale. Sure enough, she was there. I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, my name's Bob, do you remember me? Yeah, of course I remembered you, how could I forget? And. Uh, <laughs> She didn't, say, she didn't say that. I wish she did, but she didn't say that. And, uh, and I did get her number. And by the way, uh, I, almost 30 years later, I still have the little piece of paper that she wrote it on. Now, okay, I'm about to tell you something very stupid that I did, but can we just remember this moment right here? All right, we just hang out here for a minute. We're, we're good? All right. So anyway, so I get her number, and I'm on the, we're on the phone uh, that whole week talking. And then on Thursday night, we're talking, and Carrie is hoping that I'll ask her out, because, you know, Friday night is date night. People are going out. And so when I didn't immediately ask her out, she starts to probe a little bit. And she's like, hey, so what are you doing on Friday night? And I said, well, I'm going to the movies. She says, oh, what are you going to see? I said, oh, there's this new Mel Gibson movie that I'm going to see. She says, oh, who are you going with? I said, I'm going by myself. (laughs) And then she said... She said, I really want to see that movie. And I said, I'll let you know how it was. (laughs) That's a true story. (laughs) Now, in my defense, in my defense, I'm a musician. And since I picked up the guitar, however many years before, I never had to ask a girl out. Girls asked me out. So I hadn't asked a girl out, I think, since the seventh or eighth grade. So I was a bit rusty. Now, I know it's hard to look at. Like, really, girls asked you out? I know, but I was quite the specimen back then. (laughs) At least that's what I think in my mind. And so anyway, so she says, and I I say, I'll let you know how I was. And she says, how do you feel about me coming with you to the movie? And I'm like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. You want me to like pick you up or something? <laughs> yes, moron, pick me up at my house. So and <laughs> she was kind enough not to say that, but now that I know her, I know that's what she meant. So 
Now, Carrie loves when I tell the story because I, I, I'm like a complete idiot. When I, I'm totally clueless. But I'll say this. I, every time I tell the story, I always think to myself, like, Bob, what were you thinking? Like, were you even awake? You were head over heels for this girl, and you just couldn't find the right combination of words? Is that, you know, English was failing you? And, and it's like I was sleepwalking through that that conversation. And I don't know, if, has anybody ever sleptwalked? Anybody? I, it's kind of a weird conversation you hear for the first time. And like, yeah, we've known each other for five minutes. I'll tell you about weird things that happen while I'm asleep. And uh, so I used to sleepwalk. And it was a, uh, and I don't know why, but I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would get out of bed and I would try to close, I kept trying to close the bedroom door and I would say out loud, I need to close the windows. And it's very strange. And I thought I had a serious problem until I went on this website for sleepwalkers. And then I realized I had a mild case of, <laughs> compared to these people. Uh, one lady talked about her son sleepwalks, and forgive me if this is over the top, and, uh, but her, her, her son would sleepwalk. He would go into the kitchen, open the fridge, and pee all over the food. <laughs> Gives new meaning to the phrase, you're in trouble. And so, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Every once in a while, a dad joke slips out. So anyway, another, another lady uh, said, said that she, uh, she would wake up, uh, this lady, she wakes up in the middle of the night, uh, cooks an entire meal, brings it back to bed, eats it in bed, and then wakes up with food all over her and has no idea what happened and has, had gained 40 pounds in three months. And then I started to realize, like, dude, maybe this is what's happening to me. And uh, so, so anyway, if you've gained a few pounds recently, you don't know how. Maybe you're, like, cooking up a grilled cheese in the middle of the night. You don't even know. So, now, but <laughs> there, is this, there is this division, right, between dreams and reality. And many times we're living the lives that we're living because we've given up on the dreams that we once had. Sometimes we have uh, a dream, we have a vision for our lives, and we end up living something less because we're afraid to take the risk and step out. And listen, God wants to lead and direct us in a whole variety of ways. And sometimes there's a dream that you have and it just it prompts you to do something and, it's, and you'd never think of doing previously. And I, and I do believe that God can speak to you through dreams. And uh, the Bible tells us not only in the Old Testament, but in the New, that um, God gives uh, young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And I think it is pretty interesting how God sees you. Because when I was younger, I had visions. And now I have dreams. And it's God, God's like, hey, you're getting older, buddy. And uh, it's just like, we're, we're past the vision part. We're just, you're asleep a lot more. And so... And, uh, but I used to have visions, now I'm dreaming dreams. And, and, and listen, God has spoken to me in dreams. And there, there is a story I was telling my kids not that long ago. There's this Bible teacher that I used to really like. He went totally crazy. But before he went crazy, he was an excellent Bible teacher. And I was looking for his messages. This is years ago, before everything was online and downloadable. But I was looking for his... Uh, he had a series in the book of Leviticus. And I know that doesn't sound exciting, but when you're a pastor, there's like that's like you know, big nerd stuff in there. And so I was, for years, I was looking for it. And I Google, eBay, Amazon, everything to no avail. Even their church, like, oh, we don't have those anymore. So anyway, I, I had this dream one night where I'm on eBay and I bought his whole series in, uh, in Leviticus on cassette. 
That's how long ago it was. And if you don't know what a cassette is, it just means we can't be friends. And so anyway, so I wake up in the middle of the night and I am sure, like this is from God. I, I get up, I go to my computer, I open it up. Sure enough, the, the, the messages that I've been looking for for the last five years are on eBay and there's one hour left in the auction and I bought it. I was so excited. And now I have a bunch of cassettes that are totally um, obsolete because I don't even have a cassette deck anymore. Um, but, but I did listen to all the messages. And, and once again, that doesn't mean that every dream that you're going to have is from God. And I know sometimes we want to think that, but it's not. The other night I had a dream that I was a ninja. <laughs> and I was fighting these bad guys. And, and I, I don't think that means anything because my back cannot handle the ninja life. It can. Uh, one time my wife has this dream. This years ago, I had this, she had this dream that I was really mean to her. And she, when she woke up, she told me the dream. And she was mad at me for the rest of the day. And, and I said to him, like, Carrie, it was a dream. I didn't say those things. She says, no, Bob, you didn't. But you could have. And that's what's really disappointing. <laughs> and it's like... I'm not only held responsible for what I say, but also for what fictional versions of me say. And, uh, but no, she had a dream recently. Now, the re- now, let me give you a little background as to why she had this dream. She had this dream because we've been uh, showing, we, you know, we, we try to expose our kids to all classic movies. So we've been taking our kids recently through this series of Terminator movies, filed out under good parenting. And so we're just, we just got through uh, a very underrated film, which is Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. So good. Anyway, so my wife, we, we watch uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And so my wife has a dream where I come to church one day and I fired the entire Calvary staff and replaced them all with robots. <laughs> and, and she was up, she's like, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, I didn't do this. I'm not John Connor. Right, I, I did not, I'm, I'm, you know, this is not, I did not fire anybody. And by the way, if I'm going to replace anybody with a robot, I'm replacing me with a robot, <laughs> all right? You guys are going to listen to RoboBob every week, and I'm going to Disney World, all right? I'm going to let him take care of all this. So, now, what we're going to see, four dreams that we're going to see in this chapter, three that happened with Joseph, one that happens with uh, these, these magi, and, and what we're going to see is, is that they are going to have this dream. They're going to realize it's from God, and it's going to direct their lives, direct their family. And if you weren't with us last week, we're starting this brand new series of teachings in the Gospel of Matthew that we're calling The Story, as we work our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Matthew. And the reason why we're, we're calling it The Story is because we firmly believe that if you learn his story, it will change yours, because We want to live a better story, all of us do. We want today to be better than yesterday. We want the future to be better for ourselves and those that we love. And Matthew is going to show us how that's possible through Jesus' life. Now, Matthew's goal in his gospel is to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah, which is why he gives special emphasis to fulfilled prophecy in Jesus' life, to the miracles that Jesus does, and especially... The words that Jesus says, like the Sermon on the Mount or his private discourse to his disciples in Matthew 24 and 25. And he's going to give us some big fulfilled prophecy in this chapter as I proceed to ruin a wonderful Christmas song, as I ruin your Christmas manger scene, and I ruin everything you love about a beloved 
Christmas story. So we're going to have lots of fun. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 2 in verse 1. And here's what we read. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For you've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at. But the first is this, if you're a note taker, that the coming of Jesus brings unforeseen blessings. Now, if this were a TV show, the thing that would happen after we read chapter one is there would be this text that would show up on the screen that would say this, two years later, because it was about 18 months to two years later when the wise men showed up. Now, the reason I I tell you this for a few reasons, but um, if you want to have a biblical manger scene like I do at my house, You will set up your manger scene at Christmas and you will put the wise men on the other side of your home because they weren't there, but they're on their way. So show that they're on their way. They just aren't going to get there until the following Christmas. And so it's going to take a little while. So anyway, my wife doesn't like when I do that. And I'm like, look, you want an unbiblical manger scene? That's your business. And so I have tried to keep a biblical manger scene, but that pretty much went out the window when my kids, uh, when I realized two years ago, my kids lost Joseph and Mary, and they replaced Mary with Jasmine from Aladdin and Joseph with Anakin Skywalker. So happy birthday, or, you know, Merry Christmas, Darth Vader. And so, and, and by the way, wise men, wise men is kind of a bad translation. It's a good description because... The, the Greek word is magi, and they're called wise men because they were the most educated people in their region, which is the area of Persia and Babylon. But uh, the name, magi is the name that was given to the priests that the Persians had. And we, we actually learn about magi about 600 years before this story. We hear about them for the first time in the book of Daniel. The magi at that time were men who studied the stars and interpreted dreams. That was their business. And when Daniel, who's one of the princes in Israel, uh, Israel is conquered by the Babylonians, and they take all the ruling class, essentially, to Babylon at the beginning of the 70-year captivity, God gives Daniel favor with the king. The king has a dream, and Daniel is the only one that's able to interpret it. And then he gets a new title. He's he's made the the ruler, the chief over all of these people that interpret dreams and study the stars. In fact, you see it in Daniel chapter 4. It's in your notes. It says, At last Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. Chief of the, magici- uh, the magicians, if you want to underline that, or it is already underlined in your notes, that, is, that has nothing to do with pulling a bunny out of your hat or sawing somebody in two. It's two words in Hebrew. It's this word, rab magi. 
and it's the, the chief magi. And this begins to answer a question for us. And the question is, why do these Persian, Babylonians, non-Jewish astrologers care about a savior that's being born 600 miles away? Because Daniel told them about these prophecies, that this would come to pass, and that this passage in the scriptures that he would have known that would have changed their lives. In Numbers chapter 24, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Daniel knew this prophecy, shared it with these magi, and now, hundreds of years later, they are following that, like the song says, following yonder star. Now, the other thing is, if I can ruin the song for you, which I happen to like, the We Three Kings song, um, we have no idea if there was three magi or kings, whatever you want to call them. I don't know why we call them kings. They weren't kings. They were um, wise, for sure, but um, these magi, we don't know if there was three or there was 300. There, we know that there was more than one because magi is plural, so there was at least two. We assume there's three because they brought three gifts. Now, I don't understand how that reasoning works, because I bought my wife four gifts for Christmas, and there aren't four of me. And honestly, she can barely deal with one of me. Four would seem like cruel and unusual punishment. And so, but here's the thing. The Magi show up in Jerusalem. Why do they show up in Jerusalem? Now, you have to understand that Bethlehem is about six miles outside of Jerusalem. In fact, today, Jerusalem has grown. The the area of greater Jerusalem has kind of encompassed Bethlehem. And so, it, as it has continued to grow out, uh, grow out. But so the Magi show up in Jerusalem, fully expecting this child to be living in a palace because he's the king of the Jews. So they show up at the palace in the capital city, and instead they find this guy Herod, and they they say, "Well, Herod is the king." He's like, "Okay, but we want to see the real king, this child that's born." And the thing you have to understand is that uh, it, when it says that Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, because when Herod was troubled everybody was troubled. Herod was a total maniac. Uh, He was about four foot, 10 inches tall, major Napoleon complex. He's a guy who thought his wife, Miriam, was plotting against him. So he had her killed. And then he missed her after he murdered her. So he built a statue of her. Hi, honey. No response. It's just, this guy is weird. And uh, killed a couple of his kids because he thought they were uh, plotting against him. He killed all of his superiors from his homeland, uh, Idiomia, because a, a voice told him to do it. But he left one girl alive. And then she found out that Herod wanted to marry her. When she found that out, she killed herself. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea that death was better than marriage to this lunatic. And so when, and then, but people were saying that what he was doing was wrong. And so he, when, when Herod gets upset and he's like, who are the people saying that I should obey what is written? And they say, well, the rabbis. So he kills all the leading rabbis and he leaves one rabbi at the time whose name is Rabbi Baba Ben Buta, which as far as names go, <laughs> is top of the list. I mean, if you're going to be known by anything and you have a choice, Baba Ben Buta, I mean, that's just fantastic. It just rolls off the tongue. Where's Triple B at? There's a, you know... And so, anyway, but unfortunately, you can't, you can't pick what people call you. So, uh, so he keeps Baba Bambuta alive, but he plucks out his eyes. And so when Herod says, hey, let's get all the, let's get all the, 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 the rabbis, let's get the scribes, the guys who, trans, who copied the Bible. Hey, where's, 
where's the Messiah to be born? They're like, oh, sure, we'll tell you that. Let's just grab our goggles real quick. And uh, they're, you know, they say Bethlehem. So the wise men now go to Bethlehem. And of course, uh, Herod leaves this little, you know, eerie thing like, hey, why don't you tell me where he's born and I'll come and worship also. Well, that's what happens. Let me finish the rest of the story in, in verse 7 where he says this, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Um, One of the things that we need to realize, once again, is that, and if you see here in the text, the Magi show up. It says they showed up to the house. They did not show up to the manger. They showed up to the house where Joseph and Mary were living. And then they see the young child. Now, the Greek word is a word for toddler, not the word for infant, which is there's a different Greek word for infant than there is for toddler. So Jesus is probably two years old at this time. And then the Magi give gifts, which are the most famous Christmas gifts ever given, even though I'm sure they said, hey, this is for your birthday and Christmas. And uh, so, and you only get that if you have a child or you have a birthday that is close to Christmas. And I feel like, I feel so bad. My daughter, uh, her birthday is a couple days after Christmas, and I always feel bad. I feel like she gets gypped every time. Like my son, born in July. Like that's the, per- six months later, gives everybody time to recover. And then it's like, you know, hey, what can we get you? And, uh, but my daughter's like three days later. And so people show up and they're like, hey, this is for your birthday and Christmas. I'm like, okay, great. And then anyway, so, but they give him these three gifts, right? They give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and once again, these gifts mean something. Gold is a gift that you would give to a king. They believe Jesus was the king of the Jews. Frankincense is an incense that was used in offering sacrifices. It was standard to have incense in the worship of God at the temple. And to the Jewish person reading this, incense is given to one person, to God. It was handled by the priest, but it was offered to God. And so these wise men are communicating something that they recognize this child is God's divine son. Myrrh was the strangest one of all because myrrh was used as a burial spice. Someone giving you myrrh is, is like someone buying you a coffin for your birthday. It's like, you know, I might need one one day, but, uh, you know, so it is a weird gift, maybe even slightly rude. But these wise men knew something because they knew this child's mission would culminate at his death. Now, why does the coming of Jesus, as we said, bring unforeseen blessing? Because Joseph and Mary were not wealthy people. They were a family of very meager means. And they are going to find out that they're going to need a bunch of cash to flee the country, relocate to Egypt for at least a year. And this shows up at just the right time. And one of the things that you'll find as you walk with God is that there is this incredible and impeccable timing that God has to show up at just the right time with what it is that you need at that right moment. When my wife and I were first married, we were both college students, totally broke, and I was 
finishing my theology degree, and we were both working full-time. And our monthly budget, we were just telling someone this the other day, our monthly budget the first year that we were married, uh, for our monthly budget for groceries was 35 bucks. Not a week, a month. And once again, we weren't born in the 1800s. So this was, this was still tight. And, and one day, and we, we, there was this uh, U-Pick farm across the street. From, now it's a big Walmart, but uh, so they're still selling cheap vegetables. Uh, but there's this U-Pick farm that was there, and, we, and my wife would walk over to, the, to this U-Pick, and she would get uh, fruit and vegetables, and she would find all the day-old stuff that had like a little pieces that were rotting, and she would just uh, scoop it out because they'd sell that for pennies. And so tons of vegetables that first year that we had. And so anyway, but one day, uh, we had nothing in the cupboards, and payday was a couple days away, and we were so committed to getting out of debt that we had stopped using credit cards altogether, but there was nothing for dinner. And, and we, were, uh, and now we were faithfully tithing, but we had, a, we had a couple days where there was a gap, and there was no cash. And so it was a day off for us, and we're like, what are we going to do? And Carrie says, hey, let's go check the mail. And so we walk over to where all the mailboxes are for, in our apartment complex, and we, get in, we, we open it. The only thing that's there, there's a little bit of junk mail, but the only real mail is a letter that was from a girl uh, who was part of our small group. We had a small group that used to meet at our house for college students. And she was uh, part of our small group, and then she had left to go be a missionary in Guatemala. And so she wrote us this letter thanking us for opening our home to her and everybody else every week. And she says, you guys were always so generous to buy food for everybody, so I thought that I could do something for you. And in that letter was a Publix gift card for 25 bucks. And mind you, that was almost a month's groceries. I, I, listen, outside of the birth of my three children, I don't know if I've ever been this happy as I was when I saw that gift card. And, and I was, I, 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 Carrie and I, I mean, we were, so, we were just freaking out. And, and I'm like, Carrie, let's go get some steaks. Jesus is buying. And so, and, and, and listen... I am so grateful that I have so many stories like that in my life where Jesus showed up with an unforeseen blessing in my life. And listen, it's true in every area of your life. When you're faithful to God, he's faithful to you. And in this case, it was being faithful in finances, and, but it, and, and he blessed us beyond what we thought. And listen, this isn't a message on, on giving. It's really a message about living by faith, and trusting that God is going to meet you no matter where you are. And I'm telling you that I believed that before that day at the mailbox. But I experienced it that day at the mailbox, and God has met me and shown me this truth over and over and over again. Well, the story takes a turn. If you look at verse 13, it says this, Now, when they, the Magi, had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. It's a quote from Hosea 11.1. 1. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. 
Then was fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you, that the coming of Jesus brings unexpected conflict. As the text read, it seems like the wise men leave, and almost immediately God speaks to Joseph and says, you got to go. You got to go down to Egypt. Now, this must have been a bit of a curveball because I'm thinking that Joseph and Mary are like uh, getting used to the idea that the, their son being the Messiah. And then the Magi show up with gifts and they're saying to each other, listen, maybe we need to move. If our son is the Messiah, maybe we need to move to Jerusalem to be closer to the action. And, and they go to bed and God says, you need to leave the country right now and go to Egypt because they're going to try to kill your son. Now, scholars estimate that there was somewhere around 1 million to 1.3 million Jews living in Egypt at this time. So it wouldn't, it's not a huge stretch for a family to move from Israel and go to Egypt for a season. And they'd be there for a while, and they'd be able to live, especially with the gifts that the Magi had given them. But seeing that he had been deceived, now that word is uh, empizo in, in Greek, and the word deceived literally means that he felt like, it's not that he was deceived, he felt mocked by the magi because they didn't tell him herod freaks out and this is one of the 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 the, the murdering of these children is one of the saddest scenes in all the bible it's an unconscionable thing that herod does by by killing these children under the age of two and just like the song says which is true it wasn't a little town of bethlehem and so scholars agree that it was probably no more than a dozen boys that were ordered to be executed by herod so the question is why does he do it and it says that he was exceedingly angry, and, and, and literally he's in a rage. The Greek language doesn't have a word to describe this much anger. And so the idea is almost like it's boiling over, the, the anger. And it's, so he's exceedingly enraged, he's totally out of control, and then does something that will live in infamy. And the question becomes, I mean, do you really get into this kind of rage because they just didn't tell you where he was going to be born, and just they didn't give you the piece of information that you wanted? He didn't lash out because he was tricked. He became enraged because people were not treating him like a king. They were treating someone else like a king. And that's the real problem. And it's why Herod marches into town and starts killing people to show everyone in that little town of Bethlehem who the boss really is. And here's the thing that we have to realize is that we have a little bit of Herod in us. There is a part of us, however big or small, that doesn't want anyone coming in and telling us that we aren't king. The problem is, and this is where the tension is, is that you come to know Jesus. You're deciding not to be king of your life anymore. That's why you call Jesus Lord. But guess what happens? The biggest problem that you have as a Christian is the same problem that I have as a Christian, the same problem that all of us have as a Christian are the moments when we decide that we want to be king just for a little while again. And so we decide that we're going to grab the throne for a decision or two, a conversation or two, or a relationship or two, and we start murdering every good thing that God is seeking to birth in our lives. In Psalm 95, the psalmist talks a little bit about this tension where he says this, and you'll see it on the screen, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. I want you to see something. Don't harden your hearts as you did in the day of rebellion. This is a reference to Exodus 17. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they were 
in the wilderness, they were thirsty, and they began to complain and argue with Moses. Now, Moses ends up through a miraculous way bringing water for all of the people. But the allusion to the story shows us that the authority problems that are found in the human heart are always there. And all the while, God is seeking to do us good while we struggle. And this is a challenge that we face from birth. And if you've parented children, then you know this, that you're trying to tell kids, hey, I want you to do this, and I'm telling you to do this, not for me. My life isn't going to be any better. I'm doing it for you because I want your life to be better. And, and it's the struggle to stop being king. And um, my son is almost 13, and, uh, and he's an amazing kid, but he had this conversa- hilarious conversation with my wife. He's around seven years old, and he asked his mom if he can have some Oreo cookies. And she says, yes, you can have two. Now, first of all, my wife says you can have two because that is what the back of the box says is a serving of Oreos. That is what I like to refer to as fake news. And so no one eats two Oreo cookies. That is not. That is a sample. Do you like Oreos? Have a couple. Call me in the morning. And so let me know. So a serving of Oreos is an entire sleeve of Oreos, just like the Bible teaches. And so, but anyway, my wife doesn't play like that. So, and, and so anyway, so she says, Xander says, can I have some Oreos? She says, yes, you can have two. He says, no, I want four. And she says, Xander, you can have two. He says, fine, I'll have three. That's my final offer. <laughs> and my wife says, Xander, this isn't Shark Tank. Now you will have zero. He said, whoa, mom, please, two. I love two. I'd have you two. Two is what I really wanted all along. And so, and, 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 and listen, the point is this. We are more like Herod than we want to admit. And the coming of Jesus challenges us to submit to him as the king and trust him. Because here's the point of the matter. Herod loses. Herod is crazy. And Herod is miserable. And God is trying to spare you from all of that if you will simply submit yourself to him. Well, then the last thing happens. Look at verse 19. He says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now if you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing I want to tell you if you're a note taker, and that is that the coming of Jesus brings unexplainable favor. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Joseph wanted to go to Judea. That's where his family was from. That's where Jerusalem is. Bethlehem is part of ancient Judea. But then he hears that Herod's son, Archelaus, is ruling over Judea, and he decides to go north into Galilee. Now, Archelaus wasn't as crazy as his father, but he certainly was not a picture of goodness and normalcy for sure. Before his death, Herod set up a Roman eagle over one of the temple gates in Jerusalem. Now, this 
upset the Jews to no end because even if you don't know a lot about the Bible, you know that the Ten Commandments, right, on, right towards the top, is make no graven images of anything uh, in heaven, earth, below the earth, no graven images. So he takes this graven image of an eagle, puts it over the gate, and they are just, they're, they're, they're so upset by it that there's these two leading rabbis named Judas and Matthias, and they're teaching their students how bad this is. Well, the students of Judas and Matthias, um, they take it down. They take down this golden eagle in defiance of Herod because they saw this at the, at this passage in the book of Hosea, chapter 8, which you'll see on the screen. He says, put the trumpet on your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because... I'll grab that in a second. That's, I'm getting a pizza delivered. And uh, because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now, so they see this and they're like, they, they say, this is exactly what Hosea was talking about. And so they take it down. In, in turn, Herod enacts, uh, enacts mass arrests, persecution, kills the rabbis of those students, Judas and Matthias, by burning them alive as retribution for stirring up trouble. Shortly after, Herod dies a very painful death, and we can all be glad about that. And then this new sense of optimism arose in Israel now that Herod was gone. Because there was this thought that maybe his son, Archelaus, will not be the lunatic that Herod was. So a few months later, at the Passover, the Jews petitioned Archelaus to release the people that his father had imprisoned over this whole golden eagle business. Archelaus waited until the sacrifices had begun during Passover, and the temple was packed with people and pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem. And he sent his soldiers in, and they started indiscriminately massacring everyone who was there. 3,000 Jews were killed that day that were there just to celebrate the feast. Archelaus has the bodies of these people stacked in heaps uh, in the temple courts. The point is this. Any Jew living in the territory of Archelaus was in danger. So God directs Joseph to go north to the area of Galilee, 55 miles north of Jerusalem to Nazareth. Now, I've been to Nazareth. In fact, I was in Nazareth on my 26th birthday. As far as things to do on your birthday, being in Galilee, very close to the top. And so, and, and the thing, here's the thing about Nazareth. It's not that Nazareth was a good neighborhood or bad neighborhood. It's just a nowhere place. It's a nowhere town. It, it's, if you blink, you've missed it. And nothing happened in Nazareth. It's, it's a place that you just, you don't think about. There's a place like that in the United States that I, I found. Uh, it's called Oatmeal, Texas. Now, you've never heard of Oatmeal, Texas until now. Oatmeal, Texas is a population of 20 people. At least that's what it was in 1990 when they did the census. When the census came around in 2000, you can look this up for yourself, their official documentation on Oatmeal, Texas was that the population was, in quotes, about 20. They didn't even bother. They just, well, people are, I'm sure people still there. When 2010 came around, they didn't even bother. And 2020, they didn't bother again. They're just figuring out. I'm sure there's people there or not. It doesn't matter. This is the feeling people had about Nazareth. The savior of the world wasn't coming from there. I mean, come on, it's Nazareth. It's nowhere. This is why when you read the gospel of John, there's a young man by the name of Nathaniel, and he's struggling because he, he hears about Jesus being the Messiah, and then he, they tell him, oh, you, this guy, this is the Messiah. Oh, really, what's his name? Jesus from Nazareth. And, and it's almost laughable. In fact, look at what it says in John chapter 1. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's not just that can anything good come out of Nazareth. Nothing comes out of Nazareth. And whether you, you might not realize it, but Nazareth is connected to your dreams and why you haven't gotten started doing the thing that God has called you to do. I want you to notice that in this chapter, every time Joseph has a dream and he knows it's from God, he immediately acts. He doesn't waste time. And the result is that God does something amazing in his family each time. And here's what I think happens with us too many times. God gives us a dream and we talk ourselves out of it. God gives us a vision and we think it can't be from him. And then we give ourselves all these reasons as to why it can't be the case. I mean, you know, it's not going to work. We don't have the right connections. We don't have the resources and we're not smart enough or talented enough or good enough. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you. There is a, ver- a Bible verse that is written all over this building. Uh, Ephesians 3.20. It, it, is, it is my life verse. And the reason it's my life verse is because I think I'm living proof of it. And the Bible, it says this in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. You see, whenever I explain that verse, what does that mean? That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When I explain it, I say this. That means that your wildest dream doesn't even scratch the bottom of all that God wants to do in your life. And that's the beauty of Nazareth. God is always choosing Nazareth. You see, I want you to think about how God works. He never chooses, and you read the Bible, he never chooses the person that you'd expect. He never chooses the oldest son, as is the order of things. Instead, God works through Abel, not through Cain, the older brother, to kind of turn things on its head. God chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. God chooses Jacob, not Esau. God works through Judah, who was son number four, not Reuben, son number one. He chooses David, who was son number eight, and not the other seven. When God chooses a woman, the person who's going to bring salvation and blessing and deliverance into the world, look at who he chooses. Rebecca, Jacob's mom. Hannah, Samuel's mom, Sarah, Isaac's mom, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, all women who weren't even supposed to be able to have children. God chooses Sarah, not fertile Hagar. He chooses Leah, who said she was unloved, not the beautiful Rachel. My friends, God is always choosing Nazareth, not Rome, the center of power, not Athens, the center of philosophy and intellect, not even Jerusalem. He chooses Nazareth. And, and, and before we think, oh, that's cool, God chooses the underdog, it's so much deeper than that. It's that God's salvation works in a counterintuitive way to the way the world works. That's why throughout his ministry, the disciples are so confused. And they keep asking the same question over and over. They, they keep saying, hey, at what point are you going to take power and save the world? And over and over, he's trying to explain to them, I'm not going to take power to save the world. I'm actually going to lose all my power and die. And that's how I'm going to save the world. You see, if a person thinks that they're powerful and flawless, they will find no need for Jesus and the gospel of Jesus will be of no use to them. He came from Nazareth to save Nazareth-type people. People who recognize their own faults and weaknesses and poverty of spirit. 
In Acts chapter 24, there's this little passage where Paul is on trial and the accusers are telling him because there's this name that people had for the early Christians. And some called them Christians, which was an insult. And the other that they gave, they called them Nazarenes, which was not meant as a compliment. It was an insult. It was an insult to Jesus because he was from Nazareth and it was an insult to his followers for following someone who was from Nazareth because Nazareth was nothing to boast about. But it was a reminder and the the early Christians loved it and they kept it. And it was a reminder that God can do amazing things even if he doesn't have much to work with. Because you don't have to be part of a powerful family or have more money than you know what to do with what you need is a dream from God and the willingness to trust Him. And if we're open to taking the dreams that He gives us and turning them into a reality, my friends, there is no stopping what God can do in and through your life. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank You for that, for that promise, for that reality that You want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. God, you're good, and you do good. And God, we think about not only our lives, but this world that we live in that has gone insane. We think of the people of Ukraine right now, and we pray, God, that you'd be with them and that you would bring peace where there is none, that you'd bring safety where there is none, and that you'd bring reconciliation and and hope where there's very little. God, we pray for our own lives where we feel like there's conflict and difficulty and challenge and we ask God that you would revive the dreams that you've given to us that we might be the people you've called us to be we pray it in Jesus name and everybody said thanks for listening to today's podcast if today you made a decision to follow Jesus congratulations it's one of the best decisions you've ever made And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.